0: Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Muma, and you're listening to localjobnetwork.com radio. This is the podcast Management Decisions, where we discuss a number of items related to managers and executives looking to give them an edge. Innovation. It's something you hear about all the time, but many argue it's not actually happening that much in the workplace. So to help our listeners move forward in terms of innovation, we have Lauren Leader Chavez on the phone with us. Lauren is an entrepreneur, diversity expert, and former president of the nonprofit think tank Center for Talent Innovation. Lauren, thanks for coming on the show today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So the topic of innovation, as I said, it comes about a lot. We hear about it, we read about it. In general, though, what does it mean to you and why is it so important for businesses?
1: Well, so you're right that, of course, innovation is the buzzword of the moment. And you'd be hard-pressed to find a major corporation or even startup company today that isn't trying to figure out the answer to that very question mm-hmm. and isn't putting huge energy behind the idea of of building innovation. You know, What most of us think of innovation, we think of the iPod, the iPhone, we think of product, right. we think of technology, we think of with things that you can touch and feel and hold. And inside big companies, most people think of innovation as stuff that the IT people do or that the R&D people do. But I like to think of innovation in a much broader context, which is really the act or process of creating anything new that has value in the marketplace. And in some cases, that may mean things that isn't actually even directly seen by the marketplace. So Hmm. you can have innovation in the finance function. You can have innovation in human resources. You can have innovation in almost anything that your business or organization does, not just in the products or services that are offered in the market and still get tremendous value from it.
0: I appreciate that perspective because you're right. I think most people do think of, as you said, those products and, and items like that. The first point that you brought up in an article that you had written about was, I think, another kind of buzzword or buzz topic is the idea of fit within a culture. And when you're hiring, that of course, you're looking for somebody who's going to fit within what you do, how you think. But you say that can actually become a big problem. Why is that?
1: You know, I think it's a huge problem, actually, and I think it winds up being code in a way for eliminating some of the very kinds of diversity that's most critical for innovation. I'll give you an example. You know, I have a good friend who's applying for a very senior level job at a big financial services firm. She's now been through literally 17 interviews. Wow. 17 interviews. By interview number six, I think they're pretty clear that she's qualified for the job. Mm -hmm. They know what her skill set is. And the rest of it is all this kind of elusive search for fit, which in many organizations really is just kind of code for being just like everyone else. Do you have the kind of personal connection with your colleagues that makes them, you know, do they think you're someone they just want to hang out with? And there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, we all have to get along with our colleagues. We need to create an environment at work that's congenial, that's collegial, where people want to be together day in and day out. But this search for fit actually winds up eliminating in many cases the kinds of difference and kind of clash of ideas and styles and perspectives that's actually fundamental and essential to creating a climate where people can innovate. You need people who actually don't fit. And I would argue in a sense, you need outsiders. You need people who who, are, who understand what it means not to fit in or who are different from the majority of the organization. Mm-hmm. If you really hope to have a kind of innovative thought out of the box thinking. When sure. everyone fits, you really lose a tremendous amount of the conflict that you actually need in order to think big.
0: So where do you go with finding that balance of fit and diversity? Because I mean, as you said, it is important, of course, we get along with people and then maybe they have the the idea or understanding of how things work in that organization. Are there certain characteristics, certain traits you would say, okay, this is important for fit, but this is where you need to look in terms of diversity?
1: Well, sure. I mean, I think that there's certainly, there's a cultural dimension to every organization that's mm-hmm. important. So I always say, for instance, it's very hard to get somebody, to take somebody who's only worked in, let's say, a major corporation, a GE or a Goldman Sachs, and put them to work inside a 50-person startup
0: right. and think
1: that they're going to know how to operate that's the kind of fit questions that's actually really important. You do need people who are entrepreneurial, who are who understand what it's like to roll up your sleeves inside a company where everyone does everything, for instance, as opposed to where you've got this big infrastructure ready to support you. That kind of stuff is important. But in what comes down to like personal style, it's a real problem. You know, I like to point sometimes to cautionary tales. And one of the most interesting ones that I've come across recently, and by the way, there are Legions of them. But one of the most <laughs> interesting was at was at the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, which some people may remember in 2008, right up until the day that Lehman Brothers collapsed was putting out papers and their job, by the way, in the world is to mitigate risk. But the IMF was putting out papers up until the day Lehman Brothers collapsed, claiming that the global economy was fundamentally sound. Hmm. And they were so embarrassed afterwards by this complete failure to have anticipated what was a fairly obvious market fail globally, that they conducted an internal review. And they themselves found that the reason they missed the global financial crisis was because of what they called, quote, a high degree of intellectual capture and groupthink. It turns out that all of the managing directors at the IMF at the time had all gone to a collective total of three graduate schools. They'd all worked in the same organization pretty much their entire career. And even though there actually were some more junior people in the IMF, some folks from emerging markets, for instance, who had been shouting and jumping up and down, saying that the senior managing directors were missing something, because they all had the same worldview, they could not conceive of any of those views having been possible. And they totally missed one of the most critical, you know, one of the biggest financial crises in history. Sure. The endless numbers of examples like that.
0: That is a great example. I mean, because I think, of course, everybody at least has some idea of exactly what you're talking about and the fact that they basically admitted to that being a big issue. I think that does speak to exactly what you're trying to describe here today. And I think that does lead into another aspect that that you've brought up and I, I'm sure others who um, you know feel the same way as you do regarding innovation, and that's leaders being unprepared to deal with innovation or really lead in innovation. Why are they unprepared? And, and can you describe exactly what that means that they're unprepared?
1: Well, look, I think fundamentally most of our companies are still being run as if we're still in the industrial age. I like to say that we've got a world full of Jack Welch is running around in a Mark Zuckerberg reality. <laughs> and it really is true that the majority of leadership development, leadership training, the kind of behaviors that get modeled in big corporations today are really a leadership traits of another time. Mm-hmm. You know, very command and control. We found in my um, previous organization, when we surveyed senior leaders across industry, we found that 64% of them described their own leadership style as either command and control, or old-school hierarchical. They were describing themselves that way, so they likely were estimating low, right? Right. So if that's the model of leadership, if you think about what it actually takes to create innovation, to create out-of-the-box thinking, for the conflict of ideas, for novel ideas to be proposed, risk-taking, Really, a lot of those kinds of behaviors that are required of leaders have not been rewarded or encouraged over the years. So enabling a speak-up culture, creating an environment where you know even the 22-year-old could have a great idea that could be market-changing, that's really different than the way we've been, most of our companies have been run. And I think, sadly, most of our senior leaders, certainly I think of a particular generation, and obviously I'm making a big generalization. Sure. But, you know, certainly of the senior leaders across big corporations, I think we're seeing a real challenge. I think it's in many ways the leadership issue of our time that we have a whole generation of folks that are actually totally unprepared to lead a very different world and a, one where innovation, creativity, openness, total lack of hierarchy are all critical for success.
0: So where do you start to maybe try to change that? I mean, do you have to just hope for the younger generations with their schooling and how it's taught from the get-go? Can you do something to help weave in some of these fresh ideas to that older generation? I mean, what's your thought there?
1: I think a lot of companies are thinking very seriously about this. You know, the Fortune 500, just as one example, today spends somewhere in the vicinity of 20 to $30 billion Oof. a year on leadership development. I mean, these are huge numbers. And, you know, I've been asking my clients the question, what are we training them for? What are we spending that money on? Are we really clear about what kinds of leadership behaviors and traits we are rewarding and encouraging and training folks for? And, you know, leadership development training, especially inside, you know, once you're inside an organization is important, but so too are the behaviors that are getting rewarded. And companies, large and small, have to get really clear about that. There is this big question, is it okay? To, are we going to reward leaders who have profitable businesses if they also have a miserable team? Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Is that, a, is that a set of values that we're going to support and enforce? And people behave in big companies in the ways that they see rewarded and encouraged around them. So I think a lot of big companies are thinking about this very seriously. I work with a lot of them, both in te- from technology to financial services. And absolutely, I mean, you can train, you can develop, you can reward, you can incent. And you can create change around those things. But I do think two things I'll say. I think absolutely it's changing with the younger generation. You know, folks my age are really the Google generation. We have a totally different vision of what it means to go to work every day, much more entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, collaborative, creative. And I think we're leading in a different way. And I also think that you see a difference in some kinds of leaders who've had very particular kinds of experiences. In my old job, we called it acquired diversity which was the kind of, for instance, living and working abroad or in a foreign country, mm. in many cases, will lead a leader to think about leading in a very different way. They're more apt to be inclusive, to create a speak-up culture, to be open to out-of-the-box thinking. So you can definitely recruit for that as well. Look for leaders who've had these kinds of experiences that may lead them to have a different leadership style. And it's it's absolutely critical. It's not just the nice-to-have anymore. This is not just, you know, kumbaya, everyone needs to feel warm and fuzzy at work. These are essential skills to global competitiveness. And if you don't have them at the top of the house and, at, and many of the layers in between, you are, you are very likely positioning yourself to go the way of Kodak or, or Research in Motion or any number of companies who are poorly prepared to, see, to meet the rate of change in the global marketplace and to innovate in time.
0: Well, it's very well put. And I, I want to put out there then if someone is listening who they feel like, you know, oh, I would like to change. I want organization to to move in this direction. Can you offer up any advice as far as where a nice, simple place is to start? Because obviously you're talking about a pretty drastic change in some cases.
1: I think it's a really, it's a really great question. And I think, you know, when we talk about, we went back to that discussion of fit, right? I mm-hmm. mean, we think about fit as the company interviewing the potential employee, The reverse is also true. I mean, if you have a set of leadership skills that you know are innovative, creative, incent people around you to think in new and different ways to create out-of-the-box thinking, you should look for a place that's going to appreciate that kind of skill set and that actually recruits for it and encourages it and supports it and rewards it. It's very hard to be that kind of leader in a place that doesn't encourage it. And there are plenty of companies that are doing amazing things around this. I mean, I could go down a long list, Places you'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. You know, Ernst and Young, which is a very, you know, traditional accounting right. firm in many ways, has endeavored, embarked on a huge initiative to create a whole generation of inclusive leaders. It's a fundamental leadership skill for them and part of how they're creating a difference with their clients. Places like American Express, Goldman Sachs, I mean all kinds of firms that you wouldn't think of as challenging the traditional thinking around leadership are actually working very hard at this. Certainly GE has always you know, been way out in front and trying to think about their leadership model. So a lot of big companies are doing it. And then, of course, obviously, you know, the startups and the tech firms and Silicon Valley is full of places like this. Right. You know, you have to look for it. If that's the kind of leader you are, you need to work in a place that's going to appreciate those values. And that's going to give you the chance to, to really thrive.
0: Another area that you had mentioned as being sort of the secret of innovation that people miss is the idea of listening to customers. And I think, when I read that, when people hear that, they think, well, I mean, that's obvious, isn't it? I mean, they're the ones that are, are going to drive your sales and profits. Is this not happening? Is this being actually a problem that you see happening?
1: It's a huge problem. And it's amazing. You know, I've done these very deep diagnostics in a lot of big companies over the years. And what you find is is that huge numbers of employees at the lower to mid-level will say that they feel very in touch with the voice of the customer mm-hmm. because they're working with them potentially day in and day out. But as you go up the chain, you start to see sort of more and more distance from the customer. And of course, senior leaders like to think of themselves as being in touch with the customer, but they're in touch with a particular segment of the customer. And what I think is a really interesting dynamic is that you start to hear, you know, what, what we find is that it's not a level playing field mm. for ideas inside our companies. Who you are, The level of seniority that you have, even your gender or your race or your cultural background is actually a huge determinant of whether or not anyone more senior to you is actually going to take seriously the perspectives that you're bringing to the table. It's this kind of unconscious bias that lives in our workplaces, and we've measured it. The ideas of diverse individuals, just as one example, are half as likely as the ideas or innovations of a straight white man to be endorsed and developed by a senior leader. So what that means is that if you are, for instance, uh, an Indian woman who is working in the Mumbai market and you are deeply in touch with a particular customer segment, the ability for you to get that perspective up the chain in the company and to get it taken seriously, especially, for instance, if that company is a U.S. headquartered company, just as one example, is an enormous, enormous challenge. So when I talk about this voice of the customer, that's really what I mean, that ultimately to really be innovative and close to your customers, you have to have a set of leaders who actually know how to listen to the people in their organizations who have something to say about the customers that they're in touch with every day. And it sounds easy to do, but on a big scale, I work with a big global engineering company, you know, there's 300,000 employees I mean, the senior leaders like to think that they're in touch with what's going on with their customers in China and in India and everywhere else, but they are so many layers removed. The ability for them to really be on top of that is enormously challenged by the hierarchy. So it's harder to do the bigger the, co- the company gets, but it's also essential. And I'll just give you one quick example. I worked with a healthcare company uh, a year or two ago and found out that in the course of our diagnostic, we found that a whole division of this multi-billion dollar healthcare company was still taking orders from customers by facsimile, like the (laughs) old-fashioned kind. And when we probed about why they were still doing this, the answer was amazing. The one answer we got was, well, honestly, to change would require somebody taking responsibility for it having not been fixed before. (laughs) But the second piece was even more incredible. Our customers haven't asked. Hmm. Our customers haven't asked. First of all, that's just impossible. It's impossible that, you know, a multi-billion dollar healthcare, you know, hospital chain wouldn't have actually expressed at some point that sending orders by fax was a bad idea. But also the fact that they had to wait for a customer to ask is incredible. It means they were clearly not listening, clearly not listening on a deep level to what their customers were saying. So endless examples like that all over the market. And I'm not saying it's easy to do, but it goes back to these leadership skills. These critical leadership skills of creating the kind of speak-up culture where you can actually hear what your customers are telling the people in your organization, fundamental.
0: Well, you've definitely given all of our listeners uh, a lot to chew on, and we do appreciate that. And We want to give you the opportunity, as we do with all of our guests here at the end, to give the listeners a a quick takeaway from the conversation, maybe a point you'd really like to emphasize or something you would like to leave the listeners with that is a nice wrap of our conversation today.
1: You know, I think this question of the, of, the leadership, of the leadership behaviors for innovation is really at the heart of everything that every organization is dealing with today. It is the issue of our time. Who are the leaders of the next generation of our companies and how will they lead, and how will that change fundamentally the way our companies act, operate, collaborate, think, and innovate? It's a great question and one that I'm going to be watching to see, see evolve.
0: All right. Well put and a good place to finish off today. This edition of Management Decisions, we've been discussing some secrets of innovation and maybe some ways to help those leaders out there. We've been speaking with Lauren Leader Chivet, an entrepreneur, diversity expert, and former president of the nonprofit think tank Center for Talent Innovation. Lauren, thanks again for joining us on LJN Radio and sharing your thoughts.
1: Thanks so much. I appreciate
0: it. Of course, we always want to hear from you, the listeners, as well. So go ahead and send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Maybe you have a topic or a company in mind you'd like us to discuss on the show. For everyone here at LJN Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.